Okay, so Nick, if you wanna if you wanna just uh, give us their, your top five tips for sample submission to get the most out of your lab, um, go ahead, and I, I'd love to hear what your what your top five are. Okay, sure. Well, um, if I could just have a, a quick look here, I, I I don't think I can really um, cut it down top five. <laughs> so this is a, a quite an important section. But first of all, I would say number one. Um, remember that you're taking samples uh, and and trying to send them so they arrive in the lab as close as possible to the condition they were in when the animal was alive. The, so so these samples should be handled and treated and managed as if they were living uh, tissues from a surgical. Uh, procedure. Um, that's the first step in getting good lab results is, is the quality of the sample. Secondly, I would say that just for my particular prejudice is for general all-around veterinary practice, um, whether it be um, surgical samples, uh, uterine biopsies, eyes, skin, whatever, 10% neutral formalin is uh, is the best all-around fixative and most practical to use in in uh, veterinary practice. Now I know some people uh, like um, uh, carnoids or or bruins or special ones for for and and uh, for certain applications such as eyes and skin and uterine biopsies. Um, and if the lab requires those. Uh, then make sure you get those fixes. But my my particular feeling is that for uh, general veterinary practice, 10% neutral buffer formalin is, is probably all you need. Number three, uh, I would say remember that uh, formalin uh, penetrates tissue at a specific rate of around uh, three to four millimeters in 24 hours, and therefore that that sets the uh, kind of maximum size of the sample that you can take. So, um, so probably nothing more than than uh, perhaps a centimeter uh, at its thickest point. You can go a little longer or wider than a centimeter, but but no thicker than a centimeter uh, to allow complete penetration of the formalin, because of course it's coming in from all sides, and uh, that. However, it does not preclude you from taking a whole bunch of different samples from different areas of a large organ. In other words, you're not restricted to one sample per per organ. You can take several uh, from from an organ to represent the various areas that are seen, but make sure that they're all uh, small enough that they can be fixed properly. Uh, number uh, four, I, I would say that um, uh, remember that younger animals are um, Probably 80 or more percent water in their tissues, and that so as formalin penetrates the tissue, it's displacing water, and then in itself is becoming diluted. And so you may start off with 10% formalin, but by the time the tissue is fixed, it's not. And so you need to make sure that there's a large enough volume of formalin to overcome that dilution tendency. And so a rule of thumb is 10 volumes of formalin to every volume of tissue, and that will that will um, uh, make sure that you uh, uh, fix things adequately. Um, the uh, number five, I would say that uh, uh, actually I've already covered the um, uh, the number of tissues is that you take is not uh, governed by um, uh, you know you, there's no limits to the number of tissues you can take as long as you have the right size. Um, and then when you're 
selecting your tissues for um, uh, for uh, from each organ, uh, keep in mind the basic anatomy of that organ, and so. Um, try and include not only pathologic changes, but um, as many of the anatomic structures of that particular organ in your sample as you as you take it. And um, I won't uh, go on any more here about that. But in, in the notes, uh, there's a discussion of the uh, the way that this can can be done. So I would think those are those are my uh, top points in terms of tissue collection. All right, fantastic. Okay, so I'll turn it over to Maria. Maria, what are your top five tips? Yeah, on, uh, I guess on, on either tissue collection or sample submission. Okay, Melanie. Um, so uh, Nick has covered the, the tissue collection very comprehensively, so I just want to add a few comments about um, submitting the samples just in general. Uh, and, of course, the, one of the most critical points is to uh, completely fill out the submission form uh, with all the data that's required for the pathologist to do the appropriate tests and to come to the appropriate conclusion. So sometimes we get practitioners who submit an entire medical record, which is, is very confusing because now I have to parse through uh, 10 years of the animal's life to try and sort out what the pertinent issues are, and sometimes that's not provided. So the veterinarian or the submitter needs to be very clear. This is a brief description of clinical signs or herd history. This is what I am looking for. This is what I saw in the postmortem. And always we, we advise people to augment the description of their postmortem findings with a digital photograph. We have an option to email those digital photographs in, and, and it's a splendid tool for augmenting the description which the veterinarian uh, puts on the submission form regarding what they saw during the postmortem. So uh, a picture's worth a thousand words, and it really is because what is inflammation or congestion to one person may not be inflammation or congestion to another. So it's very interpretive, and pictures really do help sort through some of these misconceptions. I would say that... Uh, submitting samples for microbiology testing, it's critical to try and collect them in as sterile a fashion as possible and to submit individual samples in Whirlpack bags. We still get, unfortunately, submissions where a practitioner has put four or five different pieces of fresh tissue into a rectal sleeve, tied it off, and submitted it in for microbiologic uh, testing, and we know that those samples are going to be contaminated and will grow the same bug out of each one or multiple bugs out of each one. So, again, critical if uh, microbiology or an infectious disease is suspected that we have those samples in individual labeled world pack bags. I would say that when we're uh, preparing the sample for shipping, uh, critical that, again, we think about the time of year and how we're shipping that particular sample. Uh, if someone's dropping it off directly at the veterinary lab, it may not require a lot of additional packaging or ice packs or whatever, but if you're sending it through, through Perlator, which majority of our clients do, in the summertime, certainly we need to have ice packs in there to keep the fresh tissues from autolyzing. In the wintertime, ice packs might not be as critical. Uh, 
what we do find is some of our smaller formalin containers can freeze during very cold weather because those samples are sometimes left in warehouses or unheated trucks for one or more days. And we have had uh, surgical biopsies, which practitioner went to great uh, uh, effort to obtain, and we've had them uh, freeze and become entirely unreadable. So we advise people who are shipping small formalin biopsies in the wintertime to add one mil of alcohol, and it can be ethanol or isopropyl alcohol, for every 10 mils of formalin, and that seems to uh, prevent or at least delay uh, tissue freezing. The uh, submission form, as I mentioned, uh, needs to be filled out as completely as possible, and uh, best if it's put in its own separate uh, Ziploc bag when it's submitted with the samples, because unfortunately what we find is a lot of soggy submission forms that are bloodstained and difficult to read through, and that necessitates a lot of calls back and forth. Okay, fantastic. Um, yeah, I think um, one, one thing on the note of putting uh, samples all together was was um, some, something that struck me that Dr. Stalker, who works here at the Animal Health Lab, said is that, that she tells the students is it's not shake and bake, it's bacteriology. <laughs> so put them in separate bags. And um, I guess another thing that comes to my mind just as we're finishing up is that, uh, you know, most labs are very happy to send you the supplies that you need. Just call and they can usually overnight them so you can get them the night before if you don't have world packs. Um, just call it and we'd be happy to send them to you. Um, and at, almost any lab will do that as well. Um, usually at no cost for um, for shipping, just the cost of the supplies. And I guess um, in talking with the uh, with the lab folks here at HL, it's um, it's pretty important to use World Packs because um, they're certainly a much superior product to Ziploc bags for some, for sample submissions and just for keeping things uh, from leaking and certainly spent from spending a little bit of time in our front end unpackaging boxes and seeing what it's like. It's um, it's surprising how many um, how many things uh, how, that have been obviously very nicely collected end up coming in this like a big poo explosion inside the box or something or there's blood everywhere and it's super gross. So <clears throat> and it's all contaminated. So very important to make sure that your stuff is packaged carefully. Um, so I just wanted to thank um, thank both of you for coming and uh, for all of your contributions. So um, thanks again, Dr. Maria Spinato and uh, Dr. Nick Nation. And if you did want to check out other resources, we do have a podcast on um, on digital photography for the uh, field postmortem and field collection of samples um, with Dr. Murray Hazlitt from the Animal Health Lab. And we also do have a rabies podcast for small animal veterinarians and one for um, for any veterinarian. So you can check out those, and that goes through all of the most up-to-date information uh, in Ontario for uh, for the rabies uh, rabies information. Thanks again, guys, and have a great day.